0: I I think we lost Roy. He'll come back. He'll come back. Technology fails us.
1: (laughs) Uh, Oh no! I I could fill error in the meantime, but I was actually going to respond to something Roy Roy said earlier, so I don't think it's fair for me to do that while he's not able to (laughs) hear.
0: Well, I mean, this will
1: become one big cut in the podcast. That's okay. We'll fix it. Yeah, no, we'll fix it. Or
2: maybe we'll keep it because this will be cool. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Welcome to the Patterns of Truth podcast, the place for casual discussion of biblical principles and difficult questions that face the Christian believer. We believe that the Bible can speak to today's issues, giving us the wisdom and the courage we need for our lives. We are so glad that you are joining us and you can always find us at patternsoftruth.org.
0: Welcome, thanks for joining us again at Patterns of Truth Podcast. I'm Patricia, your host for today, and today's Cat Killer episode is called Lost in Translation. Don't worry, no murder will be happening today. Cat Killer episodes are just where we dive into a topic related to the Bible to understand it as much as possible. But first, let's introduce our guests, Krista, Roy, Peter, Lars. Hi. Hey, everybody. How you doing?
1: Hey. How's it hey, going? Patricia. Glad to be on.
0: Alrighty. If our listeners don't know, all of the members in our podcast, we live in different places around the United States. So for me, in the Northeast, spring has sprung. It's 65 degrees, 70. Well, today was a little rainy, I guess. But still, I've been going on these walks with my husband, and it's been helping us keep our sanity, just like how we did at the beginning of the pandemic. It's been a long winter, at least for us here, over here. What about everybody else? What is the weather like where you are,
3: Roy? Well, I'm uh, normally in uh, Oregon, western side of Oregon, and a uh, place called Aloha, and the uh, weather there is cold and sunny, but I'm in the uh, in the east right now, visiting in uh, North Carolina, and it's been uh, warm and sunny Uh, last night we had quite a bit of rain so it's uh, very nice to be here in the warm weather
0: okay so peter you're in the same spot
2: right yeah um actually 20 minutes away from roy it didn't rain as much yesterday as close to roy which is funny because we live so close Uh, but yeah it's been sunny today and it's been great and enjoyed a little bit of nice uh um time I spent outside well
0: Krista I know where you are it is hot probably right
4: Mary, I'm so jealous of you guys it <laughs> was I'm pretty sure today was like 96 degrees a couple Ooh. days ago we, we hit 100 and those are the days you don't go outside till the sun goes down and it's only April so
2: where, where do you live
4: I am in um the southernmost part of southern California Wow. In imperial valley close to arizona and mexico
0: Whew. oh so is that the heat where like you can't even sweat like it's so oh, no you sweat okay
4: it, just it does it, does, it does vaporizes. i don't wear mascara or hoop earrings in
0: the summer let's just put it that way oh yeah you'll burn your face oh my goodness <laughs> yes yeah, so i don't think yeah. you guys understand this
2: problem i did not know this could <laughs> yes. this
0: has happened I to me quite a year <laughs> Yeah, no,
4: no, no. I've, I've burnt my neck several times and I just go to studs in the summer because it gets to about 120, Oof. 123 up here. So we're out here.
1: I can't wow. complain. Oh. Then.
4: Nice.
0: No. <laughs> all right, Lars, what about you? Where are you?
1: So I'm in Charlotte, North Carolina. It is really, really nice weather right now. So we've been outside trying to get the um, yard seeded and, and irrigated and that's an adventure. So it, right now it's all mud. I'm um, trying to get that working as it's fun.
0: Man. <laughs> All right. Sounds good. All right, everybody. So as I mentioned before, our episode today is called Lost in Translation, and it's about Bible translations. And I will admit this topic definitely makes me nervous. Um, but I was thinking about, you know, this topic in general, because I'm sure Christians, we always try to figure out, okay, which one should I read? Which one do I prefer? And I thought about a story I know from this, this gentleman that kind of describes you know, how I feel at times, you know, when reading a different translation. Basically, I know this gentleman, he is from an English-speaking country, um, but he visits the United States pretty often. And on his way back home, he went through TSA in New York and, you know, we did what we all have to do. you got to take off your shoes, your belts, you know, take out everything electronic that's in your bags. And he put his bag on the conveyor belt. TSA agent looks at him and says, sir, please remove your tablet so, you know, this gentleman, he's like, oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't realize I had to take this out. So he goes digging in his bag and he pulls out, you know, his bottle of vitamins and, you know, his acetaminophen and, you know, his ibuprofen. (laughs) And the TSA agent looks at him and is like, sir, please remove your tablet. And he's like, I did. They're all here. Now, some of you are laughing, right? Because, and I'm sure you at home are laughing as well. But, you know, obviously, right? He forgot that his electronic device, a tablet, was still left in his bag. But in some places in the world, a synonym for tablet are pills. It could be your vitamins. It could be your Tylenol. And so this really awkward moment happened. And this gentleman said he felt very, very stupid. And yet he just had to kind of take it. And it wasn't the kind of thing they could discuss. Like when you were at the airport, just got to get through the checkpoint. And so I thought about this awkward moment where, you know, you can literally speak the same language as someone else and not understand what they're saying. And, but I thought about it, how it could apply to today's topic, right? That's deep. That's deep, right? Yeah. Sorry. Sometimes I'm a deep person. <laughs> so, you know, it's kind of like when you look at. If you read like the King James Version, or maybe you're looking at the ESV, sometimes the differences make you feel like, well, how do I know which one is right? Are they just saying the same thing in a different way? And is it possible that maybe people all over the world who are Christians think of life differently based on the translation or the version that they've read? So, maybe you grew up in a Christian home and you only read the King James Version, or maybe you study a lot and you use Schofield, ESV, NIV, NLT, the Greek, if you're fancy, right? (laughs) Or the New Translation. Maybe you're overwhelmed and confused because sometimes there are too many. Maybe you even have a special bag to carry all eight versions of the Bible that you have. But anyway, we might all still be confused. Maybe some of us know more than others. So, today's conversation is going to be between Those of us who are not so much on the expert side. So um, I'm closer to the I don't know that much side. And then we have, you know, Roy and Lars over here who may know a little bit more. So for our first question, what is the number one translation that each one of you use here um, when you're doing like a personal study or just casual reading? And why do you like that one?
4: Well, the one that I use is an IV. And I just got a new living translation, so I use them because they are easy for me to understand. Uh, where I work, I work at a at a Christian school. We use the um, New King James Version as well. So,
0: Peter, yeah, what say you?
2: Yeah, um, I usually use the ESV. That's the one I commonly use. I have also an NASB version. Uh, previously, I used to use the King James Version. But now I I use the ESV and it's been good. Sometimes I memorize some verses in the King James Version. So it's kind of neat to go back and remember these uh, verses.
0: Roy?
3: Well, I've been reading the Bible for a lot longer than all of you guys. So (laughs) when I started reading, the King James Version was just about the only one Mm -hmm. that was around, um, at least in the the fellowships, churches that I went to. I think the revised version was being used in some churches, but King James Uh was the main one. Over the years, I've gravitated to some of the uh, newer ones. I think the the NIV and ESV uh, are good ones, which I like to read casually. Uh When I'm doing really deep dives in uh, verses, though, and trying to really understand what's going on, uh, I found it really helpful to use several translations. And it really depends a lot on my understanding that I've gained from expositors about the, uh, the text and the context of the verses, uh, which translation I will use. I, I write for the Patterns of Truth blogs, and so I will use NASB or uh, NIV or ESV. And uh, another translation which is really obscure, which I do refer to, is uh, the Darby translation. And I found in some verses, it really uh, brings out thoughts that I think are more correct than the other ones, although that sometimes can be a matter of opinion. But then when you're dealing with translations, you do have to realize that the original languages um, are not what we're reading uh, in. And you also have to realize that there's multiple copies of sometimes the original, what they call the autograph, the original Uh, writings of the apostles for example are long lost and uh, we have copies so you do have to keep in mind that there's going to be variations and so I really recommend uh, having a a version that you commonly read casually Uh, like Krista was mentioning the NIV is a good one because it reads so nicely Hmm. Um, ESV is also a really good one I find the NASB just a little bit more difficult to read casually Hmm. But I do refer to it whenever I'm studying. And uh, of course Darby is, is kind of obscure and uses a lot of archaic language. So it's not good for casual reading, but I always refer to it when I'm when I'm doing a, a deep dive into some passage.
0: Hmm. Yeah. Laura, what about you? What's the translation you usually use for your personal reading, casual reading?
1: Yeah, so I primarily use the ESV as well, um, mm-hmm. like Peter. Um yeah, I was born in Germany, moved to the United States when my parents immigrated. I was seven years old, and so I grew up on a German translation. Uh, actually, it was one derived from the Darby translation that Roy mentioned. Um, but when I came here, I started with the NIV, which was, I think, good because it was easy for me to read, learning English and you know, getting to know God's word. At uh-huh. some point in there, I was reading the King James as well. Um, then when I got into... Late high school and really early college, I actually became a King James onlyist. Uh, that might be a, a longer story, but um, I am a former King James onlyist now, saved by the grace of God. Um, but we can we can definitely talk about that more. So in college, I was using the King James and uh, and a bit of the Darby almost exclusively, and then really discovered the ESV and the NASB, the New American Standard Bible, and have been you know referencing both of those quite a bit, and lately really getting into the New Living Translation, the NLT, and mm-hmm. really enjoying that for, you know, it kind of what others have mentioned, that fresh look at what a verse is really saying, uh, mm-hmm. because sometimes we get so used to the sound of a verse in our head that we kind of skip over it. And so it's really good sometimes to just read a d- different translation than what you're used to, uh, even if it's not necessarily one that you would use for personal or in-depth study, but just to mm-hmm. kind of hear things in a different way.
0: Yeah. It's funny what you said about like what sound we get used to, because I, as a kid, I grew up on listening to the Bible on tape and that version was the King James version. And so in a weird way, I find that version relaxing so um it's funny because on yeah. christmas eve i attempted i was reading through isaiah out loud like <laughs> here to my husband i don't know why but i um i was reading it in the ESV, and i was like "Uh, uh-uh, <laughs> i gotta stop <laughs> and, I, and i just went and switched back <laughs> to king james version you know and i like to read the ESV casually but it's just because of like i think what you hear as a child and the particular you know Older type of uh, right. syntax for us, uh, English people out there. Um, it there is a certain type of poetic meter that's there to it that sometimes our common English doesn't have, and so some for some people, right, it can be relaxing or soothing in a strange way. Um, but but yeah, so there's obviously we've been saying all these terms, but there's so much that goes into into this, and this is pretty heavy question to start out with, right? So these are for this question is for the people who have done some reading on this topic right so heavy one how was the bible and especially the new testament we're thinking about that that portion um assembled okay how was it assembled cliff notes version no this is not a sponsorship of them um (laughs) but you know summary
1: yeah and uh and this is something that you know, I, I almost wish that there was a mandatory course for all Christians that, you know, sometime after you get saved that you have to go through like Bible 101. Where does this come from? Because uh, we have so many assumptions and, you know, we go to, you go into a bookstore and you buy a Bible or your parents give you a Bible or you download the Bible app, right? Uh, and, and you just like assume that it's there and then you have all these questions and um, we don't do a good enough job of educating ourselves on that. Um, interestingly enough, one of the best places to start with the subject is actually just to read before Genesis 1-1, there's a section in your Bible called the preface. And typically we skip over it in the Bible app. Sometimes it's not even included, um, but I highly recommend it. Just Google, for example, if you look at the ESV preface, um, the translators will tell you where the translation comes from. And they will tell you a little bit about the history of it. They will tell you a bit about some of the choices they made in translating it because there's no one right way necessarily to translate something from one language into another. So I think that's a really good place to start. If there's anything anybody takes away from the podcast today, I would just hope that it's read the preface in the Bible that you're reading right now, and then maybe pick up a different one and read the preface there and just kind of compare in your mind, what are they saying? And that might open your minds to a lot of other questions that you could ask.
2: That's a good point. Thank you, Lars. I never read the preface before
4: me
0: either i think most of the time we turn to that page to write our name right like yeah. eight, <laughs> <laughs> and then we just move on right and so that's a really good recommendation i mean
1: i used to read those pages when i was bored in a church service so. <laughs> <laughs> this is how it all started <laughs> you, were, you were trying to say something else i'm sorry i interrupted you well, I think uh, Roy mentioned it before, you know, the Bible wasn't written in English or in German or in uh, Arabic or any other language that we might speak Spanish or, you know, anything else. The Bible was written in a bunch of different languages. Well, really three uh, Hebrew, Aramaic and Greek. And as Roy already alluded to the original manuscripts of the people who wrote a particular book, for example, John, who wrote John's gospel, his original manuscript of the gospel according to John, um, that has been lost to time, which is probably a good thing because otherwise we'd be worshiping it somewhere. Um, You know, in in some shrine, people would be bowing down to this. But those are called uh, the autographs. Autograph is the original copy, and we do not have those. And I think it's important for people to understand, we don't have those original copies, but we have copies of them. So, people wanted to get the message of God's word out, both the Jews for the Old Testament and then Christians for Jews and Gentile Christians for the New Testament. And so many copies were made. Many copies were made in many different places around the Greek-speaking world at the time of the New Testament in particular. And those copies were then disseminated to others. And so different churches would get different letters uh, sent to them. You can even see some traces of this in the New Testament when Paul instructs, you know, one of his uh, audiences to read the letter that he sent to a different church and also have his letter read at their church. So these copies were disseminated and uh, more and more copies were made. And over time, these Greek manuscripts uh, for the New Testament, we got to a point where there were people who didn't speak Greek anymore. And really, especially in the Western half of the Roman Empire, people primarily spoke Latin. And so there were people who wanted to be able to read the Bible in the language that they were fluent in. And so people started making translations into Latin from the Greek. So, you know, the English translations are definitely not the first that have ever been. Uh, In fact, the Latin, the common translation or the Vulgate translation in Latin from Jerome, that was the standard translation of the church for over a thousand years. And so when you get to the time of Martin Luther and the Reformation, he is translating the Bible from, uh, well, this might get into a bit more technical discussion, but so Martin Luther starts translating the Bible into German because he wants people to be able to to read it in their own language, um, the, the language they could understand. At his point in time, Latin was no longer the commonly spoken language of the Western Roman Empire, and language changes. And so... You know, it was a language that was reserved for the priests, and many of the priests at the time didn't even read or understand Latin well enough. So Martin Luther recognized this, and he started creating a translation into the common German. There was a point where he actually said, in deciding how I was going to translate, um, I just looked at what people were saying. So he, you know, the German language was in flux, but he looked at what was people's common jargon at the time, and he used that in making his translation choices. So the modern equivalent of that would probably be like a New Living Translation or, you know, something like that, where you're really looking at vernacular. And so that was one of the groundbreaking moments in church history, because you've had this translation that has been the standard text for over a thousand years. It's not the original language, Greek of the New Testament, it's Latin. Um, And now all of a sudden somebody comes along and he changes this, the traditional text of the Mm -hmm. universal church, you know, in people's minds. Um, It was a monumental moment. And from then, you start to see other translations appear. You know, around the same time, you're starting to see translations appear in English, various different translations there. And there's a lineage of those translations. Later translators borrowed from earlier ones. For example, the King James translators borrowed very heavily from the work of uh, Wycliffe of Tyndale. The newer translations that we have today, uh, for example, even... It's not newer. It's from the uh, late 19th century, the Darby translation. John Nelson Darby borrowed very heavily from, he used as a starting point, the King James Version. And so you see many places where his translation reads the exact same way as the King James Version. That's because that was his starting point in many cases. He was trying to create a study-enriched version of that translation. And you can read more about this in the preface, so I won't tell you all of this (laughs) because go read it for yourself. But he was trying to create an enriched version, essentially, of the King James translation, which was the standard text at the time. So that's a little bit of the history. You've Mm -hmm. got other translations since then that have sort of had the same challenge, where language has shifted, people's understanding has shifted. In some cases, our understanding of the original text has also improved through archaeology and through textual criticism. Mm -hmm. And as a result, we feel the need to have more and more accurate Translations and more and more up to date translations that reflect the common language that people are speaking hmm. today. English is the standard language around the world. Um, you know, for any kind of international trade, and people are learning English around the world. But typically, the level that people are learning English at is lower than what we might be used to in the United States. And so, having translations that can you know render in English, but at a level where people can understand it, is also really important.
2: Just to recap for me and for our audience, all the stuff that you said, because you said a lot of information. So the original manuscript are gone. The first collected scriptures was in Latin. Is that what you said?
1: No, the first collected scriptures were uh, most likely in Greek. Um, in Greek. We then have- it, it was in Latin. Then after that, probably German came
2: after that. And then it spread to English eventually.
1: I, I think that's that's... That's maybe a a good starting point. The English and the German, uh, you know, started developing around the same time. Um, But you also have to remember there were other people and other language groups, especially in the eastern half of the Roman Empire, that spoke different languages. So remember, Latin was in the western half of the Roman Empire. Uh, In the eastern half, you started to have things like the Syriac. And so there were other language groups in the eastern half of the Roman Empire as well, who also didn't have Greek as their common language. and so. You know, it, it really is a miracle that the Lord, when He inspired the New Testament, you know, when all of these events were happening, the eyewitnesses, the apostles, the disciples, they lived in a unique moment in history where there was kind of a universal common language of commerce and culture. And that was Greek, the koine or a common Greek. But that didn't remain that way. And so as language changed, for example, in both the Eastern and the Western Roman Empire, Uh, you did start to have these translations develop. The best known after the original Greek, the best known translation that we have was Jerome's Vulgate or Vulgar, kind of common language uh, Latin translation. By the way, you might be noticing a, a bit of a trend here. Martin Luther translated into the Vulgar or common German dialect of the day to make sure people could understand the Bible in their heart language. Jerome did the same thing a thousand years earlier. What happened in the intervening thousand years is the Latin text of Jerome's translation became the standard text of the church and it became this ecclesiastical text. So today, we read the King James, and if we haven't grown up with it, the these and the thousand, and the syntax sounds really strange and kind of off putting, and we don't necessarily know what some of these things mean. It was the same thing, only much worse with the Latin translation because that had been around for a thousand years. The King James has only been around for just over 400. But imagine if you know we only ever had one translation and it never was adapted to the common language people were speaking and a thousand years later look at how much language has changed in the last 20 years even you know especially English imagine a thousand years from now we're still using you know the ESV that would be a problem
0: so do you think that's why we have so many translations in the English language because it has changed so quickly Or people just want to have their own, I don't
1: know. (laughs) Absolutely. It's, It's a combination of both of those two things, in my opinion. If you look at the different translations, you'll see translations by different publishing houses. So yeah. there's definitely a commercial money aspect to it, right? Sure, sure. If you have your own translation, you don't have to pay royalties. yeah, but there is also the fact that the English language is dramatically changing. It was changing very quickly at the time of the King James translators. It's changing even more rapidly today.
0: Roy, what do you have to say about that one?
3: Um, yeah, actually there's I'd like to you know agree, of course with what Lars is saying, but I'd like to throw in another wrinkle and there's another tension between translations, and that is how literal do you want to follow what is considered the received or standard Greek text and how readable you want your result to be. And just to, I, I'm remembering this from, from a chart that I saw, so I may, I may be wrong, but it seems to me like um, the NASB tends to be uh, more literal and uh, less, perhaps less readable. You can make a chart of two axes, readable versus literal and you can plot the different translations. And uh, for example, the ESV tends to be more readable and perhaps, uh, at Mm -hmm. least according to some, maybe a little bit less literal. Mm -hmm. Literal translations tend to be hard to read because the sentence structure of the Greek is not the same as English. It's close enough, I suppose, but it's enough different so that if you get too literal, The sentences just sound really weird in English.
1: Yeah, Yeah, there are a couple of changes that we have to keep in mind between when the Bible was, or when the New Testament was written 2,000 years ago and today. Culture is different, so that means idioms will be different. For example, there is a commonly used phrase at the time of Christ, which Christ actually used, let my words sink into your ears. Really just means pay attention, but that's how they expressed pay attention back then. And if you actually stop and think about it, we say pay attention and it means something to us, but we don't stop to think it's actually a phrase that says make a payment, right? But we kind of gloss over that. It's kind of an idiom, pay attention, um, mm-hmm. give me a payment of your attention, um, you know, and, and that if, if you break it apart for a non-English speaker, like a non-native English speaker, it would sound just as confusing as let my word sink into your ears. Yeah. So, you know, that's where... Being too literal can really be a problem to understanding what was really being said.
0: So then I have to ask Peter, okay, because Peter, you speak Arabic. Is there more than one translation of the Bible in Arabic, like, or are the English versions just so, like, so many more of those than in from other um, languages?
2: Much more. Uh, that's an interesting question. So, uh, really, in the Arabic translation, uh, we have a one main translation. It's called the Van Dyke translation, uh, which was really based on the same manuscript as the King James. And there's another one, I think it's called Living Translation, which is more easier to read. The Van Dyke is really not hard to read, but uh, it's more used as a reference. Um, I don't see many, if any, in the Arabic community using anything except the Van Dyke, which is kind of nice because you can refer to the same, you know, verses mm-hmm. um, that you memorized, but maybe like from what I'm hearing right now that this is a shortcoming in the Arabic community and the Arabic language that maybe we need more translations. I don't
0: know. It's an interesting question. Definitely not in my expertise at all. I mean, when whenever I hear about... Um, different Christian organizations saying, you know, we just were able to, um, you know, translate the Bible in this obscure language. And if people in this area, um, of a, a Bible in their own language, I always sound, I feel so amazed by that because it's so much work to do. Um, first you have to learn their language and understand it to a point where you can, you know, refer to the Bible and read, you know, and translate. It's, it's, it's a heavy, heavy, Heavy work, and yet at the same time, it can feel like there are too many options. Right, 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 and it can get overwhelming. Isn't there
2: too many. <laughs> yeah, I
0: mean, well, even for me, like with my Bible app, sometimes I just go and check out like the Jewish Bible to see like what different words they are using in a particular passage, and then I just, I mean, sometimes I'm like, oh, that's enlightening, and then other times I'm like, why did I look at this? Because right. now <laughs> it was like it's almost like too much information. Um, And I guess my main question is, do most of the translations say the same things, right? Like, not like, are they all different, but like, do most of them, are they mostly in the same area in terms of meaning? So we, so anyone in the world can read and get the sense from what God has to say, or are they all too different?
1: Well, it depends on which translations you're including. There are, for example, translations that are put out like the um, the New World Translation from the Jehovah's Witnesses, which has been heavily edited to reflect not the underlying Greek text, but a, a theological idea that Jesus is not God, that he was a creation of God. But even then, you'll find traces of Christ's deity in the New World Translation. But so if you're including translations like that, I would say, really, we do need to be careful because there are there are poisoned wells out there. But, you know, if somebody has just translated God's word, I think God can use that and, uh, you know, people can be saved from that.
3: And uh, it depends a lot on the scope of the discussion, because uh, fundamental truths uh, carry through. And the Bible is very robust in terms of what it conveys in, in the fundamental aspects. So when we talk about different translations and argue about which one's better, we're really talking about really slight differences. Mm. In using the translations that I mentioned, one thing that has struck me is the similarity of the translations.
4: I was going to say, I have a question. Um, The whole point for this being my question was I just recently purchased a uh, chronological study Bible, and I'm really enjoying it. the first time in my life I've had to use a glossary or the index to find out where certain verses are because I'm reading and all of a sudden it's like, oh, it's from here to this book. Uh, what happened? But it helps, it helped me a lot with understanding because my biggest thing was I got hung up with certain events. Like, did they happen at the same time? or Are they just like referencing something that happened a while ago? You know, and that was why I had actually originally asked the question because I'd never heard of one.
1: Yeah, that's really interesting.
4: And so it's been really, really, uh, it's been really cool. This one specifically has a timeline of where biblical history and then world history, where Mm -hmm. it kind of matches up and you can see what happened in the world around the same time that these Bible events that I grew up learning about happened. And so I always, I always worry that I'm reading the wrong version Mm -hmm. (laughs) though.
1: Do you happen to have it with you? Because I'm curious if it's a new translation altogether. Very nice. (laughs) So I'm curious (laughs) if you open it up to the front cover. Oh, yeah, at the bottom there. I was going to say, what translation is it actually using as the base text?
4: A new living translation.
1: There you go. So, yeah. So the text is a new living translation, but they've assembled it chronologically rather than by book, which is really cool.
4: That's interesting. The timelines. Yeah. Ooh. It's beautifully illustrated, too. Lots pictures that would be
1: really interesting especially for the gospels you know to read those in i mean there are some events where it's hard to tell you know Mm -hmm. um and the gospels didn't come with a chronology you know index or something so this is somebody's interpretation of which events came when hopefully they have some footnotes when they're not exactly sure about which way it it was ordered Mm -hmm. but that's really cool i've always wanted to read the gospels chronologically
4: this is really neat because it has a like a parallel with dots and then, so you'll read John and then Matthew, or you know, read oh, that's them, cool. and they're yeah, all side by side. Which helps wow. me, you know. I teach fourth grade, and um, teaching the resurrection story with my students, it was really neat to not hmm. have to go searching through the gospels to be like, okay, it doesn't talk about him cutting his ear off here, but
0: it does <laughs> talk about <laughs> ear, yeah. you know. So it was. That's really cool. so interesting. You say that. Was like when I first became a Sunday school teacher, my mentor, who was also my Sunday school teacher when I was four, mm-hmm. gave me the children's ministry Bible, and it's organized in a way that you can explain certain passages and and ideas right to lead children to the gospel, like in a really comprehensive way. And when I started reading it, I was like, this is really good. I'm gonna (laughs) I was like, I'm gonna read this alongside. (laughs) Exactly. I was like, this is this is for kids. So I was like, this is great. You know, but I think sometimes, like of course what God has given us, right, is is so powerful and for our learning. But I think sometimes, like Lars you were saying at the beginning, we need to do more research to understand that context, which as adults can be really empowering and the lord can use those things to help us put things together in our minds in a better way i think you would say as we're become more mature students right of the bible you know when we're young it is not as necessary but as we mature they definitely see the value
1: yeah i mean as a young believer i was using the translation that i was given and then eventually i ran into some really bad teaching on youtube and um You know, reading the Da Vinci Code and stuff like that, and it really shook my faith. And Mm -hmm. I didn't really know where the Bible came from, and I started to buy into this stuff that you know, you know, God has your word really been corrupted at the Council of Nicaea in three twenty five A.D. Like, did I did I miss Mm -hmm. it? Have we all missed it? Like, did your word get lost? And are we just reading what Emperor Constantine wanted us to read? You know, Mm -hmm. it it is really deceptive what's out there, and it's being pushed more and more. Mm
0: -hmm.
4: And
1: we need to understand that as Christians that. Actually, the church has had really good answers for this kind of silly accusation for a very long time. Dan Brown was not the first person to think of that idea, and he won't be the last to have a big impact and try to draw people away from the faith with that. But the truth is so much better than any of these conspiracy theories that lead people to embrace things like King James onlyism like I did, because I thought, well, at least then I have a stable base. If I know that The King James translation was the best that had ever been. And everything after that has been corrupted by these new world order movements or these liberal movements or, or the Jesuits. If if I start to feel that I have to go to a conspiracy or, or something like that to have my stable foundation, I'm missing out on so much because the church has had really solid answers to this stuff for a long, long time.
0: Lars, I like what you said about dealing with tough questions and feeling like your faith was shaken, because that's actually like one of the reasons why we do this podcast, because, um, you know, there's a song I love from the old, old days. It's called Jesus is the Answer, right? And and I think that we sing that song, um, but then we encounter some really tough things either in life or the enemy brings things along our way or the Lord things along our ways and really say like, well, what do you really know? Like, what do you really trust? You know, and, and that the Lord, he is big enough, he is enough to answer these questions. I mean, he's the ancient of days, right? So we can learn from him. And I think in a way it feels at times like a test of our resilience of like, well, if someone introduces doubt to me, do I just crumble? Does my whole entire faith crumble? Or do I work hard? To really find out the answers, um, all the while knowing, right, like God is real. I know He is real in my life, and um, I do remember sitting in many a college class where you know I mentally just couldn't handle all of the things my professors were saying. But the one thing I could say was, they could not take away the impact that the Lord has had on my life. He spoke to me, and no one can take that away. So then I yeah. can go from there, you know, and. Yeah. And I think that is the starting point, right? Even for people who are, who are Christians or maybe you used to go to church or not. And, and you are questioning, I would say question towards, question towards God, don't question and pull away. And I think that's one of the most valuable things I think we can learn in this, in this journey.
2: I like what you said, the question towards God. I like
0: that. It's a hard thing. Because sometimes we we may feel like, oh, maybe I won't like what I discover right? But I think, well, not I think, I know. God can stand any question we bring at him. And from that basis, we can move forward. Okay, where do we go from here? Besides reading the uh, beginning part of our Bible before Genesis 1-1, where can we start learning more? Because as you said, Lars... That's a good reference. What's a good reference? Because you can go on YouTube and find any number of things and it take you down the wrong path. So where can we start? Where can we go from here?
1: If I can make a quick digression, I did want to respond to one thing that Roy mentioned earlier, kind of in passing, because I think when we start dealing with this subject of translations, very quickly, we get into a level deeper than just what we can talk about casually and get our terms mixed up and it's okay. So sometimes very quickly, we get into a level where if we start having a misunderstanding of terminology, like for example, we talked earlier about the difference between the autographs, the original, you know, written documents of the the people who wrote, for example, John, who wrote John's gospel, that original manuscript and the copies of those, the manuscripts that are copies it's important to understand the differences between those terms. And one term that we used earlier in the discussion was the received text. Um, And I think it's really important to understand that there is not one standard received text today. There never was in all of church history. There was never once received standard text except at the very beginning. But when we start talking about that, we really are talking about textual criticism and textual variance. And so I think we Probably should have a follow up conversation on textual criticism. Why are there footnotes in my Bible that say some manuscripts don't have this verse or this whole section or it reads differently? That's the field of textual criticism, textual variants, which really just happen naturally when a human being is copying a document, maybe with poor candlelight and maybe facing persecution and maybe it's cold and maybe they, you know, they're trying to do this late at night. They're trying to copy this handwritten document from somebody who gave it to them. They might not even be very good at writing. And so you're going to make mistakes. And then those mistakes get passed on. And so we need to understand a little bit more about that in a future discussion, maybe. Hmm. Um, as far as where people can go to start understanding this more, probably the best book I've ever read on the subject is the King James Only Controversy. I would get the updated second edition. The King James Only Controversy, Can You Trust Modern Translations? It's a book by Dr. James White, uh, who is a uh, an apologist, a Reformed Baptist out of Phoenix, Arizona. He teaches Greek, or has taught Greek and Hebrew in seminary, uh, as well as church history. And he has dealt with this King James Only controversy specifically. But the first half of the book is really a history of English Bible translations, And so it touches on the subject of King James Onlyism quite a bit, which is something that I think we need to be aware of and better understand where people are coming from when they say, well, we should just use the King James version. But in the process, he really teaches you what is a textual variant? Why can we trust our modern Bible if there have been all these mistakes made over time? So if I was to point a person at one place to start, it would be the King James only controversy. Can you trust modern translations by James White? Try to get the second edition and uh, just the best introductory book to this by a long shot, but it also is good as a reference.
0: Thanks, I just, I literally just went on my phone and put it in my cart. (laughs) Yeah, Roy, anything from you, where can we start?
3: Well, my experience is not in the languages and and, uh, deep study like Lars, my opinions, and I I just have to say that that's what they are, um, has grown over many, many years of reading the scriptures and reading commentaries. And so uh, it's, it's one thing to go deep dive into the, the Greek and the Hebrew and all that. But I think if we're subject to the guidance of the spirit of God, and we truly uh, seek to understand his word and what he would try and convey to us, I think we have to really walk by faith in, in that review and in, in that uh, in that area. And good commentaries give us a good general understanding of the doctrines presented in scripture. A good commentary will explain why they um, present a particular uh, point of view. And um, I think that, just over time, gives us a a background so that we can judge some of these uh, differences. In the post that I wrote for Patterns of Truth, I give some, you know, specifics. But I think that probably is the best thing you can do is simply become very familiar with what scripture uh, mm. teaches. I appreciate uh, the scholarship. I value it. Mm. Uh, but there is an element that really needs to be kept in mind. And that is that we cannot ignore spiritual insight and spiritual wisdom. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That sometimes is, is lacking and the very best scholars. They have to go together. So in judging these things, if you're not an expert, if you're not able to access the, the technical issues, then uh, my recommendation is you pick a good translation. I think a reference to at least look at um, a Darby translation to check to see you know if he's got a particularly different point of view I think is good. Look at two translations, and what I started to say a little while ago was that when you compare, start comparing ESV and NASB and NIV, what is very striking is how similar they are. And we have really uh, the Word of God in our hands,
1: mm-hmm. and
3: we can trust God to guide us in understanding it. Mm-hmm. And the slight differences between the different translations that I just mentioned are actually quite instructive. Mm-hmm. Um, they broaden the possibility expression that you get out of a verse. And I really appreciate sometimes I, I get a certain point of view, uh, like reading one. And if I read the other, I say, Oh, well, that's, that's a similar, that's a, really the same thought, put in a different way. Mm-hmm. And so you can see that the two translators really are agreeing, but they're I I say struggle, but not struggling in a difficult, with a Mm. difficulty, but striving. That's a better word, striving to present the thought that they have in their mind in the best possible way. Mm. So that would be my recommendation. Mm.
0: Thank you so much for those recommendations. Roy and Lars, and I, and I think it's something that's always good for us to ponder too, right, as even as we're talking about um, how to understand, you know, what God is saying to us, I think what I'd love to keep in mind is that very soon, right, those of, of us who say that we are believers and we trust the Lord Jesus Christ, we will see the Lord Jesus face to face. Who is the Word, right? That is who He is, and we look forward to the time when We will be with the one who speaks to us through the Bible. And that is really the ultimate goal. And so even if you felt a little overwhelmed during this conversation or you're not really sure where to start and you're feeling intimidated, it's okay, right? I would definitely recommend start first with prayer, like Roy recommended, right? Ask the Lord, Lord, help me to open up my understanding, lead me, right? Because ultimately the goal is that we hear from him. So thank you so much to everybody tonight for uh, the contributions to the discussion. I know for me, I have a lot to learn and read for myself. Um, to all our listeners out there, we hope that this conversation made you think, gave you some answers, and maybe piqued your interest so you dig deeper into this topic. Ultimately, our goal is that we all pursue a closer relationship with God. As Roy mentioned earlier, he completed a series on this topic, on the patterns of truth blog. Roy, remind me of the title again. What's the title of your series?
3: (laughs) Oh, my. You have to ask me that. Oh, no. It was a question and answer. And the question was, which is the best modern translation?
0: Okay. All right. Sounds good. (laughs) So you should head on over to the website to check out that series. Um, If you have any topics or questions that you as listeners would like to discuss on the podcast, like us to discuss on the podcast, please go ahead and head over to the website, PatternsOfTruth.org. Ask a question and we do read all our comments and the questions that come to us. We'd love to hear from you. Okay. We're signing off until next time. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.
2: Thank you for listening to the Patterns of Truth podcast. We invite you to join us for our next episode. And we also encourage you to check out patternsoftruth.org where we post articles every week for the encouragement and growth of Christ followers. If you have any questions, please don't hesitate to submit them on our website. I'm Peter. Until next time.